Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. According to our nation's Bureau of Standards, a dense fog covering seven city blocks to a depth of 100 feet contains less than one glass of water. All of that fog, if it could be condensed into water, wouldn't quite fill a drinking glass. Compare this to the things we often worry about. Like fog, our worries can thoroughly block our vision of the light of God's promises. But the fact is, they, our worries like the fog, have little substance to them. Perhaps no other person in the Old Testament understood this concept better than the man we're going to be reading this morning. His name is Abram. He was a man who would not allow the worries or the fog he experienced in life from blocking the light of God's promises from shining through to him. Even in the midst of a desperate and hopeless situation, situations that often create in us the most worry, Abram continued to focus on the promises of God to him. How Abram responds to God when God reveals his promises to him in the midst of a desperate and hopeless situation is how we ought to respond to God when God reveals his promises to us when we find ourselves in the midst of a desperate and hopeless situation. Now before I raise the question for today's passage, I want to share with you the hopeless situation that Abram was in. This will provide the context and help us better understand why God promises the things he promises to Abram. So the question is, what was Abram's situation? What was the problem? In Genesis chapter 11, there's a certain section that gives a brief background to Abram's family life. And in verse 30 in chapter 11, it says this, Sarai was barren, she had no child. That speaks volumes. Commentator Gordon Wenham comments on Abram's hopeless situation when he writes, the whole Abraham cycle is an eloquent witness to the desperate desire for children in primitive society. Without children, the man had no one to perpetuate his name and the wife enjoyed little prestige and much frustration for she had no alternative career to motherhood. Further, in old age, childless couples had no children to care for them. And after death, none to carry out the funerary rites regarded as vital to the soul's well-being after, in the afterlife. This was a hopeless, desperate situation that Abram and his wife find themselves in. 
And Abram is going to be 75 years old. His wife is going to be 65 years old when God finally reveals a promise to Abram. So when God comes and reveals his promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, Abram is in a desperate, hopeless situation. If there was anything that a family at that culture at that time wanted was children. And he doesn't have any. And it doesn't look like they're going to be able to do so naturally speaking. So he's in a desperate, hopeless situation when God's promises come to him. Now what is a promise? A promise by definition is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. And there's usually two categories of promises. There's, there's a promise that God makes to individual persons. If God called me to share the gospel with people 25 years ago, that's not necessarily a promise that he makes to you. He reveals that to me. So it's specific to a particular person to a, in a given situation. But then there are the promises that God gives to all of his people, the spiritual promises that are for you and for me. And we're going to take a look at both of those promises in Genesis chapter 12 and 13. So keep that in mind. So with the context a little clearer for us, this is the question to help us understand the passages this morning. What happens when the promises of God are revealed to those in a hopeless, in a desperate situation? Because this is the situation of Abram. Number one. When God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, those who obey God's commands will do so at great personal cost. Verses 1 to 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country. In Hebrew, it's literally go by yourself. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. This is a command. This is in the imperative. God's not asking Abram to go. He's telling him to go. And then the Lord says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. These are promises. And the promises are specifically tailored to his hopeless situation because he has no child. If a parent wants children like Abram and Sarai does, and God reveals his promises to him, whoa, I want children. And this God who's revealing himself to me in these promises is going to promise me a great nation when I have no children at 75 years old and my wife is 65? Hmm, that sounds pretty good. He's going to make my name great. And he says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The only way that can happen is if he has offspring. We often, at least in me, when I would read this story, I often think that Abram is just living his life and he hears a voice and God calls him and Abram obeys that's not what happened. It did happen, but there's a context to this situation. He wanted children. So apparently God is telling Abram, 
I can give you what you desire, but you're going to have to leave your family and your homeland to do it. What is Abram going to do? Does he think that the promises of God are actually worth leaving everything else behind? Well, let's see. So Abram departed, that is, he obeyed, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. That is, Abram was 75 years old when he obeyed God's command, and he's going to have to do so at great personal cost. This first four verses are often called the call of Abram. Immediately the Holy Spirit should cause in our minds to go into the New Testament when Jesus called his disciples. What happened? The very same principles. Read with me in Matthew chapter 4 verses 18 to 22. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, command. I will make you fishers of men, promise. Well, how do they respond? They immediately left their nets at great personal cost, and they followed him. They obeyed. Not done yet. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, that is, he gave them a command and he gave them a promise, just like he did with Peter and Andrew. Well, how did they respond? And immediately they left their boat and their father at great personal cost, and he followed them. Obeyed. What's the principle in the first four verses of Genesis chapter uh, 12 verses 1 to 4, when God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, those who obey God's commands will do so at great personal cost. Were the disciples in a desperate situation? They most certainly were. Politically speaking, they were being oppressed by the Romans. Spiritually speaking, they were lost and dead in their trespasses and in their sins. If we desire to follow Jesus in the future as Christians, it may cost us financially. It may cost us relationally. It may cost us our freedoms. And in some extreme cases, it may cost us our lives. And the history of the church has demonstrated that. That's the first principle. When God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, those who obey God's commands will do so at great personal cost. What is it costing you to follow Jesus today when you obey him? What is it going to cost you to follow Jesus today? What's it going to cost me? That's a question we're going to have to ask ourselves. Number two. When God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, oftentimes those promises will not be immediately fulfilled. Verses 5 and 6. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan, that is, to the promise. So they came to the land of Canaan. 
to the promise. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were then in the land. What does that mean that the Canaanites were in the land? It means that Abram cannot take immediate possession of the land because the Canaanites were living there, which suggests that he cannot take, or the, the, the promise to him will not be immediately fulfilled. That's the point. In Genesis chapter 15, if you read forward, God gives Abram a vision and tells him it's going to be a long time, 400 years, until the people living in that land are going to be dispossessed because, until their sin reaches a certain level. Once it reaches a certain limit, then they're going to be, I'm going to remove them from the land. But until then, they're going to be there, which means Abram cannot take immediate possession of the land. The promises of God, when he gives them to us in a desperate, hopeless situation, doesn't mean that those promises are going to be immediately fulfilled. Abram may, when he first heard this promise, may have thought, oh, I'm going to get a child right away. <laughs> he doesn't know how long he's going to have to wait. And he's going to grow throughout this process as God slowly begins to draw Abram to a place where he can trust and depend more on his heavenly father. But that promise isn't going to be immediately fulfilled. And that's the point. Not all of God's promises to us right now are fulfilled. And some of the individual promises that God may make to you, it may take a while before he fulfills them. And so he expects us to trust in him while we wait. Number three, when God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, those promises must be claimed by those who believe in them. And this is something I wonder if the church does well. Verses 7 to 9. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. There's the promise. And there he responds by building an altar to the Lord, hmm, who had appeared to him. And he moved from there, from the valley, to the mountain, to the hills, east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent, he settled with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built another altar to the Lord. And he called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Now, what is the significance of building an altar? That's emphasized twice, so the author is telling, this is important. John Walton, a commentator, says the building of the altars was a way of establishing a claim on the land. What do I mean by a claim? When we lay a claim to something, what are we doing? To lay claim to something means to take as the rightful owner, to assert to be rightfully one's own. The brief itinerary of Abram described in these verses takes him from the northern to the southern border of the land. He not only sees what has been promised to him, he walks through it, he lives and worships in it. Symbolically, he has taken possession of it. When God makes his promises to you and to me, we have a responsibility of claiming it. And that's what he does when he builds an altar. He's saying, I'm claiming the land that you're going to give to me. I'm claiming the promise. What are some of the promises that God gives to you and to me? What can we claim to? What can we take possession of? Is the question for you and for me. Do you need a promise for strength today? 
Listen to what the author says in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That is a promise. Do you believe that? Claim it. Own it. It's yours. Regardless of the situation, no matter how desperate it may be, how hopeless it may seem, you claim it. It's mine. How about a promise in the midst of trials and tribulation? But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That's a promise. Do you believe that? Own it. Or how about this one? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. That's a promise. Do you believe that? Claim it. Build the altar. How about promise for his peace? You want peace? Listen to Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusts in him. That's a promise. You put your eyes and your focus on the Lord. The promise is, I will give you peace. Not as the world gives. Only I can give it. You want peace? Claim it. Do you feel alone? Here's a promise if you feel lonely. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Psalm 27.10. Do you believe that? Own it. It's a promise. How about a promise for forgiveness? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. You say, what if I keep slipping up? Claim it. Promise. I will wash you clean. How about promise for wisdom or guidance in your life? Oh, how we need that. Regardless of where we are in our stage of life, we always need counsel and guidance. Listen to what it says in Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Promise. You believe that? Claim it. Build the altar. The point is simple and pointed. When God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, those promises must be claimed by those who believe in them and in Him. Number four. When God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, God will often intervene on our behalf to keep His promises to us when our plans to bring about His promises fail. Verses 10 to 20. Now there was a famine in the land. Uh Uh-oh. Hopeless situation. It's desperate. And Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Real bad situation. 
And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, "Uh uh-oh, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Here's the scheme. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I, my soul, may live because of you. This is Abram's plan to bring about God's promise in his life. In a desperate situation, he begins to worry. The fog is thick. So it was, when Abram came into Egypt, that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her, something he did not anticipate. And they commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. It's one thing to tell your wife to say to them, say that you're my sister, because perhaps maybe I can bargain with the average Egyptian, but when someone of great political power comes along and takes it, he can't bargain with this guy, and he lost his wife. Abram's plan to bring about God's promise fails. The Lord's going to have to intervene. Does he? Will he? Verse 17. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. In other words, God intervenes to ensure that his promises to Abram are kept. And Pharaoh called or summoned Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you tell me that she was your wife? Why didn't you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, because you deceived me, good representative of you are, Abram, of God, Now therefore, here is your wife, take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him that they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. God's promises to Abram are safe and they are kept in spite of Abram. The point is clear. When God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, his promises to us, He will often intervene on our behalf to keep his promises to us when our plans to bring about his promises fail. That's amazing. God will literally intervene. When Abram demonstrated no trust or faith because of the worry that he experienced in his difficult situation, God stepped in because the promise was not based on what he did. It's what God was, his word. And the same promises to us are the same. We can muck it up all day long, seven days a week, six days a week and twice on Sunday, and God will still intervene if his promises to us. He'll still keep it to honor his own word. Praise be to God. Number five, when God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, those promises can be reclaimed when we have failed to put our trust in God. Simple truth, but very important, and it's powerfully illustrated for us in Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him. To the south, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar 
which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. By using the twofold reference, the beginning and back to the first, the narrator is suggesting that Abram is trying to recapture, reclaim his previous experience with God, which would surely include the promises to him. The only difference is this time is that he does not need to build an altar, lay claim on it. The old one is still there, perhaps implying that the promises of God still stand. The promises were never affected by his unfaithfulness. Praise the Lord. You drop the ball, God is faithful. Is it a promise to you? Reclaim it if you, if you stumble, because you will, and so will I. Reclaim that promise. Now we're going to switch a little bit because the promises are now going to be more evangelistic and more focusing on the spiritual promises to all of God's people. Number six. When God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, those who have received God's promises must share them with those who don't know the Lord. Verses 5 to 7. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land, that is the promise, was not able to support them that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. In other words, they could not share the land of promise. And there was strife between herdsmen, uh, the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. In other words, Abram and Lot were sharing the promised land with people that did not know Abram's God. The fact that the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land is an interesting and ironic one. The irony here is Abram and Lot seem to be able to share the land, that is the promise, with the Canaanites and the Perizzites. For these peoples were also occupying or dwelling in the land. We see here that for a limited amount of time, Abram was to share the promise of land with those who didn't know his God. As Abram shared the promise of God with those who did not know the Lord then, before divine judgment came, we too must share the promises of God with those who don't know the Lord before divine judgment comes now, in the future. The promises that God makes to all of his people today are first and foremost spiritual. These spiritual promises should be shared with people who don't know the Lord so that they can have the opportunity to receive the same spiritual promises and blessings we have. John 3.16 is a perfect example of such a spiritual promise to be shared. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish, will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise to be shared with those who don't know the Lord. As Abram was sharing the land with the unbelievers at that time, for a limited amount of time, we have a limited amount of time to share the promises of God with those who don't know the Lord. That's the point. Well, what's going to happen? Number seven. 
When God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, many will refuse to accept the promises of God when it is offered to them. This is a sad reality. And quite frankly, it's heartbreaking. Verses 8 to 13. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? In other words, isn't the whole land, including the promised land, isn't the promise of God before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. The opportunity for Lot to receive the promise of God are right before him. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the Garden of Eden, or the Garden of the Lord, which refers to the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. So Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, the promised land, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Lot here has refused the promise of God when it was offered to him. He had an opportunity, but he said, nope, I like, I like what I see of these plains of the Jordan. They're well watered. They're beautiful to behold. This, I mean, this is the place you want to live. This is the land I want. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Spiritually, it was corrupt. And he chose that road. And like Lot, many people today are going to reject the revelation of God's promises in the midst of a desperate and hopeless situation that many are going to be in because of the circumstances of our globe and of our nation in the future. Pray that people don't turn away God's promises. The spiritual promises that are for every spirit-filled believer. Number eight. When God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, those who possess such promises in the present will eagerly anticipate the fulfillment of God's promises in the future. Verses 14 to 18. Read carefully with me. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now, Abram, and I want you to look from the place for where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land, the promise which I see, I give to you. This is the first time in the Bible that the land is explicitly given to Abram as a promise. It was implicit before. In the past, he says, I'll give you a land that I will show you, and I'm going to give this land to your descendants. But here, he says, for the first time, I give it to you. And to your descendants forever. This was another element to the promise that was never revealed to Abram before. Never said this will be a land forever that I will give to you forever. And not on, on top of that, here's another element of the promise I'm now going to reveal to you, Abram. And I will, in the future, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Wow. He's not going to get a small nation. He's going to have an outgrowing of people that are going to actually have uh, land and government. God's really going to bless him in the future. 
And God says, arise, walk in the land through its length and its width. Take possession of it, for I give it to you. In other words, God is saying to Abram, symbolically take possession of the promise of land now as a guarantee that my future promise of giving you many descendants will also be fulfilled. So what's Abram going to do? Then Abram moved his tent, that is, he obeyed, he walked through the land, and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And what does he do? He built an altar there to the Lord, which was what? He was claiming it. Here, Abram takes symbolic possession of the present promise of land with the eager expectation of the fulfillment of God's promise concerning his offspring in the future. And the point is simply that when God's promises are revealed to those in a hopeless situation, those who possess such promises in the present will eagerly anticipate the fulfillment of God's promises in the future. And that's you and me. We have not experienced all of the future promises of God Almighty. And we have the present promises, but we also wait, like Abram, with eager anticipation of the future promises of God that are going to be experienced by his people. And that should give us encouragement in the midst of a hopeless and desperate situation. I want you to, as we come to the Lord's table, I want you to listen to the words of Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Listen to these words. So the Lord God said to the serpent, as a result of deceiving the human race, God says to Satan, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field, I promise you. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, I promise you. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, I promise you that. You shall bruise his heel, but he shall bruise your head. I promise you that. Thousands of years later, God makes good on those promises to our enemy. By sending his own begotten son into this world. Fulfilling his promise to our enemy and comforting us in the process. For by Jesus going on the cross, he bruised our enemy's head, and he kept his word. And by that very act, we receive the promise of eternal life. It's not something we have done. It's not something we can keep. It's something that is bound and his word and his promise to us. Keep these truths in mind as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. It's a result of a promise. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper had ended, he also took the cup and he blessed it and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is shed for you so that your sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. For as many times as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The cup that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. In just a few moments, I'm going to invite the distributors of the elements to come forward. Before I do, I just want to say once again that we practice open communion. If you are a believer, a recipient of the promises of God, you are more than welcome to share communion with us. We are one body. And so when the ushers come forward and distribute the elements, I'm going to ask that you just hold on to the elements. We do have some gluten-free bread for those who cannot eat gluten. Uh, Hold on to both elements so that we can partake of them together. For those of you who have been asked to serve communion elements, please come forward. The body of Christ that was broken for you and for me, let us partake together. The blood of Christ that was shed for you and for me on that cross, let us drink together. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who makes promises to his people. You're a God, as we saw, who is faithful to his promises, even when your people are unfaithful, when we allow the circumstances or the, the hopeless or desperate situations that we may find ourselves in at any, at any given time in our lives, we often do what Abram does. We take the situation into our own hands and we often make things worse and you have to intervene. And by your grace and because of your faithfulness to your own word, you will step in. That's what you do to ensure that our promises to us are fulfilled. We thank you, Lord, that we worship a God who is a personal, relational being who makes covenants and promises to his people. We know that you always do what you say you're going to do. That's just something that the human race cannot do apart from your work. Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness and for your promises. Help us as your people to know what those promises are as we read your word so that we can be encouraged by them and, and, and lay claim to them, take possession of them, to appropriate them in our own lives as we navigate and journey in our world as Abram journeyed in his. Help us to be mindful of your goodness and of your good gifts to us. And help us, Lord, like Abram, to share the promises of God with those who find themselves in a desperate, hopeless situation. We won't have to look very far to find them. And help us, Lord, to know those promises, to be obedient to those promises, so that those can know 
the promises of God and embrace them themselves. For the honor and glory of your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Let us continue our worship this morning by singing, And Can It Be? Would you please stand if you are able? love. Amazing love. That love promises. He promises and he will always keep his promises no matter what. No matter what. Because of his own word. He's going to honor himself for he himself is worthy. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and strength. And Lord, I ask that you would bless every person here. There's a lot of viruses and sickness going around, and I pray that those in this room here, that you would anoint them, bless them with a special blessing, keep their bodies safe, protect them from any virus that's going around. And for those of us in the faith community uh, who attend here, those who we know, Lord, we ask for a speedy recovery who have been infected by the virus and colds. Help them to recover quickly so they, they can rejoin us again as we assemble next Sunday to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Amen.